Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hello and welcome to Better Tech. I'm your host, Colin McCarthy, here to explore the dynamic world of tech with you. Over the years, I've seen firsthand how technology transforms business, and at Better Tech, we'll dive into those transformative trends, connecting with thought leaders to uncover insights that propel success and innovation. So let's get started with today's guest, Craig. Welcome to Better Tech. So let's start off with an introduction of yourself, what you've been doing, your job, and then we'll move on from there. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Craig Rodell. I am the field CISO here at Netrix. Um, I primarily specialize in our identity and access management portfolio. Just celebrated my one year anniversary with the company. Prior to coming here, I was the director of identity and access management for HP. Wow, that must be quite uh, quite a role and quite a challenge. Uh, with the number of employees that HP have um, with identity and access management. Can you provide a brief uh, uh, overview of your experiences and expertise in the field of identity and access management and security? Yeah, so I was really fortunate early on in my career to work with uh, Tati Lennon, who was the inventor of the SSH protocol. Um, I got to do a lot of interesting work with our clients getting really deep into identity, how they were using not only their interactive access, but also their machine to machine, their non-interactive access, which is the vast majority of what happens, you know, in computing um, and really how powerful an identity can be simply by being provisioned the wrong way. Um, and I kind of uh, just latched onto it and, and never, never got out of the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. It is interesting in today's, uh, adoption of zero trust uh that uh, identity has really become the uh, the endpoint uh the, or the new endpoint how would you define zero trust uh, and its security model in the context of aim identity access management yeah it's kind of interesting because i think a lot of really good identity practices that I've been around have always kind of followed this principle of zero trust without really having a label for it the way that I view zero trust specifically in the context of identity and access management is really trust but verify. We know that a certain degree of access is going to be required to do your job. And if it's a, a higher level of access than you know your standard user, then we obviously trust you to perform those tasks. So it's not really zero trust, a little bit of a misnomer. It's more of a I trust you, but I'm also going to verify that you're doing what you say you're going to do and every step in the process to provision your account, to give at least privilege, to do all of those things was done properly as well. Right. Yeah. I think the the old principle of least privilege has never been as important as it is now. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of moves to for companies to really define their uh, RBAC process, obviously role-based access control, and also just-in-time access. And and as a lot of the memes have uh, have shown uh, that I that I see on LinkedIn, uh, zero trust is not really a product that you can buy. You can't sort of say that you bought zero trust and deployed it. It is very much a, a security model that uh, always has to be evolved. 
talking of zero trust and its model, what would you say are the key principles um, and how do you define, how do they differ from a traditional security approach? Yeah, so like I said, in identity, it, it is kind of, there is a certain degree of trust, but I think where it really differs is getting into strong automation, like you said, like getting into a role-based or an attribute-based access control policy to where you don't just have an employee that's with a company for, you know, 20, 30 years and snowballs permissions because they've been in various projects and stuff. Those permissions need to dynamically change with your employees as they move, as they evolve in their careers. And then also, like you said, just in time or even ephemeral access in certain act, in certain situations, right? Accounts don't need to exist statically on endpoints anymore. So why do they? You know, we can get into ephemeral access. We can get into true just in time. And oh, by the way, we also have other means of verifying your your identity, right? We have very um, intricate MFA uh, solutions mm-hmm. now. We've got a lot of other um, specialized access tokens. You know, we can go beyond just passwords. We can go into a lot of other access methodologies um, and verify not only once, but continuously through this process. And and then hopefully get into user behavior analytics and create a risk profile for you and uh, baseline based on, you know, what your role is in the company. Right. Yeah. It's uh, some of those key principles that you mentioned have really come to light uh, in the last couple of months with the Okta um, incident. Uh, I won't call it a hack. I'll call it an incident or a a breach where um, companies were protected due to, uh, you know, those other restrictions placed on how the admin accounts could be signed into, even though the, you know, their their account was compromised or uh, through the um, harvesting of those HAR files where people had the OAuth talk- tokens and they were able to, to access those accounts. Um, it's interesting how you mentioned about, you know, uh, differences in MFA. What, what's your uh, thoughts on uh, hardware or physical security keys? I think, you know, a strong FIDO2 program, if it's implemented cor- correctly, is great. Um, of course, you know, there's the human element of that. You have to worry about people losing them, misplacing them, you know, shipping hardware tokens out, loss of productivity. There's those types of elements because, I mean, be honest, as a modern cybersecurity professional, it's no longer about just to adhere to my standards. It is also about partnering with the business as well, right? So we have to keep those types of things in mind. Um, I would say it needs to be situational. There isn't a rubber stamp for multi-factor authentication. It needs to be what works best for you and your workforce. Um, But certainly a strong 502 program, I'm I'm 100% for that if it makes sense. Right, yeah, yeah. Certainly for those key key accounts, uh, there's no reason for every, you know, global admin, super admin, uh, Okta admin, not to have one of those keys to protect their account. Uh, And also, a few minutes ago, you were talking about uh, companies having a good process in automation and and the permissions they can have. Uh, I know the permission creep is a terrible problem that a lot of corporations have. You know, they will have, say, a robust onboarding and hopefully a very robust offboarding process. But for those long-term employees, um, having a process where 
where their permissions and access is reevaluated as they move, you know, laterally through the business or, you know, get a new permission, a position, change responsibilities. Uh, in my experience, a lot of companies don't have a very good movers process. You know, we, a lot of admins will always talk about the JML and they tend to, you know, the joiners, movers and leavers, they work on the joiners process they work on the levers process, but the movers is always the the, the very hardest one to to you know really uh, excel at. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's likely due to there's really not a lot of products out there that number one can handle. If you have an identity process and you're standing it up from the ground floor, you can set these processes very early. But if you're an established company and then you're looking to backfill and and kind of re-engineer these processes the only really good way to do that prior to some companies that are coming out with some interesting technology now was to throw a ton of money and resources at it, right? Like the, the old joke in IGA was really 3 million, three years, three connectors, right? And then you look <laughs> at a company that has, you know, thousands of applications, do the math, you know, uh, it, it, it's just not cost effective. The two biggest fields that I see really evolving that, uh, that I think are you know, the most fascinating, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on with access credentialing and tokening and stuff like that. That's, that's interesting. But privilege access management and identity governance administration, some of the changes that are coming out from some of the innovators and disruptors in those spaces is really fascinating. The IGA, like I said, like you said, too, right? It's, uh, we have a problem there. It's hard to untangle this ball of yarn once it's already tangled up. So you see a lot of companies that are leaning heavily into uh, AI or really more accurately machine learning to yep. do faster, faster role mining, faster, you know, data gathering so that we can set up the beginnings of that RBAC process and then tighten it down. Um, quicker time to value there obviously is a, a big, big thing. Um, and then in the PAM space, they're almost bleeding over into IGA. A lot of future leading PAM vendors are getting into orchestration where they can generate the accounts on the fly. Um, a coworker of mine used an analogy that I stole and I love it. And it's, it's like uh, you wouldn't call a taxi because you were going to go somewhere maybe, right? So identity is kind of the same thing. Why should your account exist statically if you're not using it? You know, that's kind of an interesting point. We no longer need to just manage the identity program, our problem, uh, especially around privilege identities, we can actually truly mitigate and shrink the attack surface. Um, and that's, uh, that's a very interesting kind of different approach that I'm seeing out in the market. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm sure you and I both know some of these emerging companies that are coming out with you know, uh, unique, interesting ways of of tackling this. Um, it is interesting to see that it's such a, a growing space. Um, you know, IGA and the other the other term I keep hearing is uh, SSPM, SaaS Security Posture Management. Um, the other the other big player to sort of protect your identity. Um, the, when when we're looking at a lot of these tools, and there's a I've discussed this with with some of the other guests that we've had on. There can be a terrible problem of companies um, buying a product to try and fix a problem that they don't fully understand. So, uh, what, what what's the best way to sort of uh, evaluate these specific security challenges um, that can be um, tackled with zero trust? 
I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of people might not agree with and some people might. And I've, I've sat on both sides of the table. I've been the consultant and I've been the consumer, right? Um, the practitioner. I think you have to hold your vendors to a higher standard. Very likely you're buying your software through a VAR. You're, you're probably not buying it direct through the software vendor. What value add is that reseller having? Are they talking to you about your strategic technology investments? Do those things integrate? Should they talk to each other? Um, are your strategic vendors integrate are talking to each other on a regular basis? Are their companies growing in the same direction that you want to take your identity strategy or your technology strategy or security strategy in general? I don't think that we do enough reverse interviewing on the practitioner side. I think what we do is we kind of look at the technology stack that we have. Mm-hmm. And instead of going back and saying, hey, we have a gap here. We have these technologies. Can you work together to help address it? Like you said, we go look to add another piece to the pile. Um, when technology has evolved vastly, probably from the time you implemented all of these solutions that you're trying to bolt onto, it may be way worth it to go back out to the market and see what's out there. That can be scary for a lot of people, but I think that's the way that you truly enhance your your cybersecurity uh, program. It, exactly, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. There's there is two. I've, I've seen companies try and shoehorn in the wrong solution or not the correct solution into an existing process or practice or tooling they have rather than taking the incredibly bold step of re-engineering the entire operation, the entire company to to utilize better tooling more efficiently. Um, and obviously that's, that's just a huge transformational project that uh, a lot of companies might not have the, the appetite for risk um, or the skills to take it on um, or sometimes the budget. Um, it can be can be very difficult. Uh, and I mean, I think that is something that we as, you know, cybersecurity professionals kind of evolving as our careers have demanded of us. You know, we are starting to write ROI uh, use cases for our cybersecurity investments and lean business cases. And we're, you know, we're setting up long-term budgeting to say, hey, here's the upfront cost of replacing solution A, but here's the increase in efficiency that we get through the workforce. Here's the increase that we get through a reduction in infrastructure tax. It's a modern service, so it's more resilient. Here's the cybersecurity benefits we get. Mm-hmm. We're not typically not used to speaking across all of those spectrums, right? We're used to just saying, here's risk. Here's how we reduce or mitigate this risk. Is this acceptable to you? Yes or no. But our our demand of our job is evolving. And I think I do see that. And I, I think that a good VAR does kind of help bridge that gap. And it is hard to evaluate every new piece of technology that's out there. So having a good partner does help a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's it's not just siloing in, you know, this problem being a security one. It is it is the whole tooling that the organization uses. I I feel it, you know it's their primary identity they're using, whether it is uh, Azure AD or uh, Entra AD as it's called now. You know even Active Directory if they're still utilizing that. If they've moved to Okta or Google uh, using a Google Cloud identity, uh, and then it you know goes into their collaboration platform and all of the other risks that they have. Um, around shadow IT and the the sprawl of SaaS applications, the 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 companies end up having because 
uh, end users want to use the tools that they that make their life easier. They're often not doing it, you know, to uh, at the annoyance or to annoy the security department or the you know the cybersecurity team or, or their managers. I don't think they're doing it maliciously. They're just doing it because they prefer to be working in those tools and. It's so easy to gain access to those tools with a Microsoft 365, you know, OAuth login or a, a free trial that they sign up with or, you know, signing in with their Google account. Um, obviously, end users are uh, under an incredible um, barrage of advanced threats. And there's always the problem of ransomware and, and other problems inside the business. What specific aspects of zero trust do you think that organizations should focus on to help protect themselves? Like I said, the, the, on the identity side, the trust but verify, you know, like, I mean, you have to recognize that every cybersecurity program has a human element and not everybody in that human element is a part of the cybersecurity team, right? So you need a way to reduce that human element down to an acceptable factor, right? And we do our best to do email filtering. We do our best to do all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, mistakes happen. You know, some of the stuff is out there is pretty clever. I think the way that you do that is strong configuration management, you know, strong baseline. Here's how mm -hmm. systems should look. If they start to drift from this, let me know. Um, strong privilege access management. And then definitely on the lower tiers of like help desk and user recovery and all of that type of stuff. If it, if it makes sense, if you have the technology stack to do it, I would highly recommend leaning into something like an ephemeral access solution, um, something like that where you don't have to have that, you know, that static account that is, you know, a, I mean, that's be honest, that's what happens. You can get into the environment through a bunch of different ways, but eventually you're going to hop laterally until you find something of privilege and you're going to set up your shop. Right. Yeah, controlling those credentials is is the the cornerstone of everything, in my opinion. Yeah, I if I think back to all of the big headline compromises that have happened in in the last eighteen months, two years, I don't think any of them have been a traditional, you know, Hollywood hack. There, I don't think there's been any, you know, USB drives dropped in the car park, you know, Mr. Robot style and, and hoping that an employee is yeah. going to pick it up and, and plug it in. It's all been through compromised identities, whether it's, you know, phishing or or another compromised piece of uh, software on, on somebody's personal device that and then they're using that to access corporate um, corporate acts, you know, uh, accounts and then they're um, their username and password have, have been harvested. I think that's how LastPass were, were compromised um, uh, last year through um, a, an engineer's personal computer that uh, had a compromise on it. Obviously, we're talking about zero trust, and a lot of that is about moving away from your on-premise infrastructure and utilizing the cloud more and more. Um, and cloud migrations can be done the right way and they can be done, you know, the wrong way. When we're looking at identity, how should companies be adopting zero trust to secure their access in all of these cloud environments? I think when you look at the cloud, the, the stuff that I start to think about is really, do I have the right tooling for it? 
you know, I think a lot of companies have learned this lesson the hard way just because it works on-prem doesn't mean you, it's necessarily going to work up there. So, and then the second thing is not getting sucked into the, um, the void of the, the cloud service providers, free tools. Some of them are fantastic, but if your company grows and you adopt a multi-cloud strategy and you're only used to using AWS specific tools mm-hmm. or Azure specific tools, and then all of a sudden you have to work in GTP or another cloud provider, all of a sudden you become very behind the learning curve. I prefer cloud agnostic approaches. It's, it's you know, that keeps the total cost of ownership very low. It's easier for the end user to consume, all of those types of things. And then going back down to the to the core tenets of what we should do as identity professionals, you know, do you have just enough permission to do your job? Mm-hmm. Are you supposed to be on this endpoint? Is But then also, is this endpoint even supposed to be there? Because let's not forget that as, as public cloud is, you know, ramped up, we've also lost our provisioning process. You know, cybersecurity used to be a stamp in that provisioning process if you were going to stand up a physical server. That's not there now. So the other question is also, is this is this workload that you're trying to connect to even something that should be there, right? So it does add that other layer of complexity there and a strong cloud entitlements program too. So a good Kim solution is, is needed as well. Right. What was that? You said Kim? Yeah, uh, Cloud Entitlements Manager, I think it's C-I-E-M. Okay, so it, uh, can you just describe that for me a little bit? Yeah, so if you have like native permissions inside of your identity or inside of your, your AWS, so you have like AWS IAM roles, for example, you can look at that as an, a way to analyze your cloud um, identity security and see if, you know, do I have any accounts that are over-provisioned? Do I have people who have access to certain roles that they shouldn't have access to? It's uh, it's just another way to work inside of uh, those cloud solutions, you know, to make sure that the same way that we have access to an account today that may not have trust, may not truly be provisioned, but we can hop to get to one, and we could a good tool will show you that. The Kim solutions will show you the same thing. You know, hey, Craig may not have a privilege account, but he does have access to this role, which then can do this, which then can do that, and then it could get to a level of privilege. So he should probably be a part of your Pam solution, or you should correct this problem, right? Right. Okay. And that's just one of the standard best practices that you'd recommend an organization look to adopt? Especially if it's an organization of size. I mean, like, obviously there is that, like you said, cost is a factor. And if mm-hmm. you're if you're in the mid-market or SMB space, it might not be something that you necessarily need to invest in right now. You're probably getting a lot of your solutions through whatever you've used for access management. When you start to get into maybe using a lot more of the the cloud features and you know that you see a hyperscale and it really becomes important to manage these identities at that scale and you you're not just using the native consoles or the apis that's really where i see the benefit of having these tools at a smaller scale you can do everything through the cloud provider right okay okay uh, earlier on, you mentioned AI because every podcast in uh, in 2023 uh, <laughs> has to has to mention AI at some point. Uh, and obviously, you correctly termed it as uh, machine learning or large language modeling. I know that that this this new technology stack that we have is really going to help with the detecting and the reporting and responding to security threats. How effective do you think that will actually be? within zero trust and identity and access management? I think it has to. I mean, identities are just going up, right? The the number of service accounts. And I mean, if you start to think about manufacturing, 
specifically, everything has an, has an identity, right? Everything that is on your network. So our identity problem, quote unquote, or risk <laughs> uh, is going to only exponentially increase. I think the human element can only scale so far. We need to modernize our tools, especially like we were talking about role-based and attribute-based mm -hmm. access. We need a faster time to value in that, especially if we're going to add more pieces to the puzzle. So I, I think, and I, I mean, you can see it in, in the innovation that's coming out in the industry. I think it's going to be a very, very key component to, to the way that we change in the next two to three years for sure. Right, yeah. Uh, and obviously Zero Trust has come a long way in the last few years. It's become very much uh, an IT buzzword. Um, I'm sure it's on, on every every uh, every admin's buzzword bingo board game that, they, that they're playing secretly in meetings. Um, and I know that Google have been operating on the Zero Trust security model since, I think, 2014 when they published a paper uh, about Beyond Corp, uh, what what they referred to it as, um, that was almost ten years ago. Uh, what do you think is going to happen uh, in the coming years? What do you think will be evolving with regards to zero trust, especially when we think about identity and access management? You know, I think you're going to re number one. You're gonna. I think you're gonna reduce a lot of the human element. So right now we do place a, where I think of the trust chain and identity is like, did you offboard that person the right way, or mm -hmm. is their account still existing somewhere? Are your systems integrated enough, or are you still using local accounts that require some sort of manual intervention? Right? How up to date is your inventory? Those types of things. I think the way that identity is kind of progressing, the, the automation there is going to take care of a lot of, you know, offboarding issues, the joiners problem that we talked about earlier, yep. you know, that should be addressed by, you know, making it cost effective to actually implement those solutions. And then on the PAM side, I think there's going to be more demand for things like, you know, really truly controlling what commands certain levels of users can, can execute. Um, getting into, like I said, removing the static accounts where it makes sense, getting into ephemeral management and um, a high degree of identity verification. I think multi-factor authentication is a beautiful idea and concept, but the yep. way it's implemented at most most uh, companies is, hey, we don't want to, we don't want MFA fatigue. We don't want to blow up our users. So we're going to have them use their token once a day and then they're authenticated and we're not going to bother them again. And we have every intention to put in some sort of user behavior analytics later, but later is a hard sell <laughs> uh, when you're considering budget cycles and everything else. Right. So I think we have to find a way to, and there are some, some interesting technologies that are trying to do this. We have to find a way to more, rigorously uh, make sure that it is who it says it is mm -hmm. without really bothering the human. And I, and like I said, there's some interesting ways to do that, but it's not really widely adopted yet. I think that's really where the, the massive leaps for zero trust are going to come. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how you talk about that MFA fatigue um, because there are a lot of companies will, whether they're on Google Workspace or on their, if they're on Microsoft 365, depending on the SKU they're on, will have some really good uh, additional security measures that they can put in place, whether it's context aware access or 
um, identity access. Um, I can't remember the other. One. I can't remember what Microsoft call it. EDS. Uh, what's it called? Enterprise Discovery Services or something. Uh, you know where you could you could you could do uh, endpoint verification on the device and and uh, a lot of yeah. posture management stuff. But, but I know a lot of companies won't won't deploy them because of the the fear of uh, increased support desk tickets. You know, overstressing over burdening the support desk, uh, alienating end users or crippling end users and not allowing them to, you know, giving them instant access or almost seamless access to the tooling that they need. It's a very, very delicate balance um, of balancing, you know, uh, access and security. Um, and I think a, a lot of companies excel at it incredibly well um, in the Okta breach uh, I read a lot of articles from uh, Beyond Identity and also um, uh, Cloudflare. They they posted uh, a lot of information um, about you know how they're protecting their accounts. So obviously it it can be done, um, but it is a is a struggle as as we both know. The one big problem that a lot of these breaches of have caused. Uh, and when you and I are uh, thinking about security is all about data privacy uh, and all of the regulations that they have. How do you think Zero Trust can help with that and assist organizations in maintaining compliance? Yeah, I, I talk about this a lot too, right? Data breach versus data leak. Uh, you kind of like what you said earlier, like it's been a while since we've had a true like, you know, Hollywood kind of thing. I think a lot of the stuff that we read in the news is misconfiguration. And and I it calls into question for me, is it a breach if it's, you know, configured wrong and I can just see it? I mean, I know it's yours, but you put it out there and didn't set it up right. So I think that's where the other side of that equation comes in too, is, you know, um, we have to have something, like I said, that human element. Is this configured the right way? Is my data classified the right way? Is it tagged the right way? Is it protected with those tags accordingly, right? Um, not publicly available, like S3 buckets and all of that type of stuff, right. you know? Um, so it's that verification step. Uh, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, policies are only as good as their enforcement. Uh, tons of companies have amazing policies with zero enforcement so it's a functionally worthless you um i had a really really uh fortunate time working for joanna berkey who was the CISO when i was at hp and she always advocated for making security a part of your um corporate culture and mm -hmm. really what she meant by that was if i can go to you as a business unit and say I, I will be better at my job if we collaborate because this security will be built in instead of bolted on. Your process will run more smoothly and we're both going to look great, right? Um, that's, that's the reality behind a lot of these cybersecurity challenges. But what we end up with is, hey, we already did this thing. Can you help us make it secure? And then it's, it's hard. That's where the gaps come from. So we need to be brought in a little bit earlier. That's where the verification side comes in. Like you said earlier in the podcast, you know, kind of tearing down silos. Um, I think all of that leads into zero trust. So it's, it's not only just, you know, writing down great standards. It is also about, you know, implementing them. It is about spreading awareness through your organization and getting everybody on the same page. 
Right. Yes, it is the the partnership between the business and IT and security needs to be it needs to be a proper partnership. They there needs to be uh, open doors. There needs to be you know uh, a willingness to listen to each other. Uh, it does. It it is security is a team sport. Um, because you you can't do it alone and there isn't a single piece of you know there isn't one piece of software or a whole suite of pieces of software that is going to you know solve it for you it uh, really does re- require as you say on the end user um and and participation and collaboration uh, across all and and getting those those business leaders to buy in as well um and treat it as a a, a, a part of the culture yeah it's very good stuff uh, looking to 2024 and your crystal ball as we get to, towards the, the close of the of the podcast here, what would you see are the emerging technologies that might further enhance and complement zero trust? Uh, and also, what would be your uh, if there was a real Santa Claus, Father Christmas? <laughs> What would you like them to give you for Christmas with regards to security technology and also these all emerging technologies in the coming years? I would like to see a lot faster. I'd like to see a couple of these companies that I said around identity in the IGA space that I see really leaning into ML. I would like to see them kind of come to the forefront as their time to value. I think what we're likely going to see is they get bought and acquired and then that engine gets added into already industry leaders, which, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, as long as it actually works, I'm fine with, but leaning further into machine learning in the IGA space so that we can actually fully deploy the solution uh, would be a, a big, big win in the identity space. And then, like I said, really looking at our privilege access programs, you know, we have a lot of, very cool bells and whistles in PAM solutions, but I question truly how often are they used? Um, how scalable are your solutions? And is that the reason why you have gaps in them? You know, when's the last time that we we really evaluated that market and, and redefined the criteria that we um, kind of judge it by, I guess, as we start to see, you know, all the big vendors in that space talking about ephemeral access going beyond just in time. Yeah. Um, and then I would, I would see the next evolution of that is like I said, some sort of form of continuous multi-factor authentication or um, something that doesn't bother the human, you know, something that says like, if you have these things and you're in your security risk baseline, you're probably who you say you are. And if you don't, then I'm going to bother you. Something like that. Uh, I would think those would be my my top three wishes. Yeah, I'm just thinking, imagining what that would look like. Um, you know, when when we go to a, a bank to to open a new account, you know, obviously we have to take an official form of ID. If you go to the DMV, the you know to renew your driving license, you've got to take six points of ID. If we could do that in the physical world, it should be easily possible um, in the in the virtual IT world to do that. Um, I'd, and I'd be very interested to see what that what that would physically look like. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's some stuff, some prototype stuff that I've seen that's out there, you know, that, you know, it's like an app on your phone that's running or you, it, you have two points of contact, like an Apple watch in your phone or 
some stuff that's interesting that's going on with the cameras where it can do a scan of your face and like, yep, that's not a picture. That's who you say you are. So we're going to leave you alone. You know, we talk about all these conveniences like single sign on and all these things, and they're awesome, productive measures. And MFA was kind of the answer to a lot of the challenges that those things presented in the security space. We're like, well, hey, we're just not going to prompt people for passwords anymore. Ah, oh, it's fine. We'll, we'll multi-factor authentication them. Ah, that's pretty inconvenient too, right? So we need to find a good balance. And that's the really exciting part about my job is getting to talk about a, a lot of this stuff with companies and find out not only like, hey, where are you trying to go from you know your identity strategy point of view, but like where's your company trying to go? How are your users accessing these solutions and making sure that we have the right feel for for the level that that you want to be at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is as you say. It's it's very exciting. It's going to be very very interesting to see where it goes. Uh, I've uh, really enjoyed talking to you, Craig, for the last 40, 35 odd minutes. Um, any 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 closing Jerry Springer style closing thoughts? No, I think it's you know I, I say this uh, lovingly. I think identity and access management was kind of a lost art in cybersecurity. Um, COVID being a tragedy it did bring identity back to the forefront of a lot of conversations because all of a sudden we were faced with a lot of problems that, you know, we just had a company policy. Hey, you can't work from your house, come into the office and we can secure that. Well, oops, we have to change everything. You saw it really easy, right? Companies that focus more on, Hey, do we know who the person is? They pivoted pretty well. And then companies that were just like, no, we're going to lock down our controls and they, they had a hard time. Right. So I think finding a good balance because the world has changed. We've all admitted that. And we do have to now evaluate like, hey, we, we know cybersecurity is on the forefront of most people's minds nowadays, but we also can't slow the business down to an unacceptable level because that's how we all get paid, right? So yeah. we have to be strategists. We have to be diplomats. We can't no longer just be enforcement. Yeah, and it will, uh, some of those old technologies, it will be great to see them go. Uh, maybe 2024 will be uh, the the slow demise or start the demise of VPNs and get rid of them. And uh, hopefully, hopefully by the end of uh, the decade, there'll be no more VPNs. Oh, hey, <laughs> that's what that's what I'm going to ask for Christmas. No more, no more email attachments and no more VPNs. <laughs> I'm I'm there with you. Let's do that. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Craig. It's been great talking to you. You too as well. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye-bye. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.